Welcome to The Dish, the culinary travel podcast focusing on the stories behind world-famous foods. We are your hosts, Tom and Megzi from foodfuntravel.com. Join us for tasty histories, destination food guides, and more. In this episode, we discuss the history of one of the national dishes of England, fish and chips. We discuss the battle between Belgium and France for who cooked the first fried potato. Plus, who opened the first fish and chip shop in the UK? Okay, hello everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Dish. Yes, we are back to talk about a world-famous food. Maybe something, you, you could be listening to this in isolation right now, so something to get you inspired to travel again once everything opens up, or you could be listening to this well post-isolation and being like, yes, I'm going to go get me some of that right now. Well, it's seafood again, so two episodes in a row. Yeah, which is interesting. I mean, you love seafood, but I like I love some all food, apart seafood. from Brussels sprouts. That's true. So, and Vegemite. You don't like Vegemite. I do not like Vegemite very much. No. Oh, you're now on very much. Am I turning you? No. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, before we get started with this episode, I'd like to say a big thank you to all our listeners. We really appreciate you having you guys following us, listening to us, of course, sharing the show as well. That really helps us. Uh, it's been awesome to be sharing all these crazy stories with you. If at any point you want us to cover something, just please tweet us at Food Fun Travel. Let us know some suggestions. We're always up for new ideas. Or maybe there's a destination that you want to go oh, to and you yeah. want to learn more about it if it's somewhere we've been. We had a, a request for uh, Valencia. Valencia. See, we haven't been to Valencia. No. So, we might have to find someone who's like a food tour guide there and maybe grab them for an interview and try and find out some tips from them. The I guess history of paella. Paella. from there, right. Exactly. So, uh, more seafood. Seafood, 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 mm. So, thanks again, guys. We appreciate it. We're going to get started with some fish and chips today from my homeland of England, I believe, unless there's a, a controversial change to the classic fish and chips that I don't know about. Oh, well, we Battered are, fish. We are going to talk about it, aren't we? So, with yes. soggy chips. No, no, I oh, no. definitely disagree with you on that one. Uh, I think that's something, a conversation like sports or politics, it like tears family apart. It's like soggy chips or crunchy chips. And what about mushy peas? Ew. Yeah, I never really like mushy peas. Gross. And vinegar, I don't like vinegar on my chips. You can keep your vinegar. Yeah, salt and vinegar on chips. Amazing. Oh, no. Love it. There's a lot of different variations living in England, growing up in England at least. Completely different opinions on what you should have for your fish and chips. But yes, soggy versus crispy is a big one for the fries. Yeah. And uh, I think with the fish, it's a choice between cod or haddock. It always used to be cod, but then of course cod has been fished out a lot. So haddock now is something, but cod is still available, but it's quite expensive. Yeah. And pollock, of course, is the cheap alternative to cod. June gets. So you never really tend to know what you're getting, but uh, no, in fish and chip shops in England, they have to tell you what. Oh, you're they getting. have to tell you what the fish I is. Mean, if you go to a pub and just order fish and chips, it might not necessarily say on the menu. Although if you ask, they'd probably tell you. They probably have to tell you. 
But no, in the fish and chip shop, it'll actually be up on the sign. I'm trying to And it'll think say cod, haddock, pollock, possibly these days. Because I don't know if they tell you in Australia. It's just fish and chips. Barramundi. Yeah. Barramundi and chips. I can't remember if they tell you, though. Oh, I'm going to have to, if there's anybody currently in Australia that is listening to this, let me know. Go down to your local fish and chip shop and tell me if they're actually telling you what the fish is that they're cooking up, because I can't remember if they do or not. I mean, I think in Australia, they don't really have lots of cod, do they? It's not really no. popular. It's, doesn't, it's not fished there, so. No. So, it, yeah, as you said, it's mostly barramundi. He's a popular one. Quite a firm white fish. It's quite tasty. I like it. Another controversial thing in the UK, of course, is do you put curry sauce on your chips? Oh, yeah. Because northerners do. They're all just like lacing curry sauce all over chips. But then I don't know if they have curry sauce on chips when they have it with fish. Like if they just order chips after going to the pub or something. I've heard there's a, there's a couple of, um, like in Scotland, it's a little bit popular as well. Did yeah. You? As so you said, north. Yeah. That's north. Yeah. That's very north. Pretty sure they believe it's a completely separate country, which I, I probably agree with them on that. I would, yeah. So, <laughs> I don't want to get in an argument with a Scotsman. No, certainly not. Oh, we haven't had the angry Scot. Have we? Do we? I don't know if we've ever done angry Scotsman oh, on this show. Yeah, that was on our, our previous podcast. I can't remember if we ever did angry Scotsman on the dish. He's very aggressive. He's very aggressive. Yeah, if angry Scotsman comes out, it's going to be terrible. <laughs> He's going to be ordering Maybe. deep fried Mars bars with his fish. Yeah, we'll have to shouting. do a history of a Scottish dish. And then maybe we'll get a visit from the Angry Scotsman. I don't know if Angry Scotsman gets angry about food or not, though. Or he's excited about food. I haven't really discovered this. Oh, we'll have to, we'll he gets have to angry see. about politics and, and people getting in front of him in line when he's waiting at the supermarket, pushing in. He gets very angry about that. Yes, indeed. Yes. Yes. Uh, so no one's got any idea what we're talking about unless no. they listen to our old podcast <laughs> like five years ago. So Angry Scotsman is a character. And you may find out about him one day. Yeah. That's about all I'm going to say. He might make an appearance. All right. Should we talk fish and chips? Yes. Yes. The humble fish and chips, which actually is one of the world's most favorite takeaway meals. Uh, It has. Is it? Yeah. Because you think like pizzas and burgers and stuff would be way ahead. It is. So it, it like kind of like goes up and down in popularity where I think burgers, pizza, you know, that sort of stuff has been quite consistent throughout where fish and chips kind of go like has a bit of a resurgence and then it like sort of dies off again. It yeah, it's a bit funny, but it's still. Um, is it, it super popular in the USA? Because in the UK, it is literally one of the main takeaway dishes. So, yeah, as you say, it makes sense there. Yeah. But in the US, I just assumed that because such a large population compared to the rest of the English speaking world that basically whatever they order takeaway in is the one that's the most popular in the world. So generally around the world, it's just really popular in in places that have, you know, towns and cities that are on coastlines because you're going to be able to fish and everyone likes having it with chips. So what comes down to the difference between the two is are you having like – British fish and chips, which is the battered fish, which is what we're talking about today, or are you just having fish and chips, which might be like grilled fish and chips or the whole fried fish and chips that we used to have in Mexico where they just put the whole fish in the fryer? Pescado frito. Pescado frito. Whole deep fried fish is amazing. Yes. And I'm very torn between the Mexican style of deep frying the fish whole without batter and the English style. Both are really good. 
I think I like the Mexican one better if I had to pick a dish forever, but both of them are amazing. I love them. Yeah. So that that is the so if you're just talking about like fish and chips in general, fish and chips totally totally super popular. But then you can differentiate between whether it's a battered fish and chips is worldwide popular or if it's you know more of the well I mean just fried fish. Yeah. When we were in Mexico, we saw a lot of people ordering takeaway from the fish restaurants. So they would go in and get a whole fish and take it home to their family. Absolutely. So that would happen a lot. So yeah, even though they were sit-down restaurants, they ordered takeaway. I could imagine there was a lot of fish and chips going out from those places. So it's a different thing. Obviously, grilled fish is something we can't really trace the origin of because people have been grilling fish for thousands and thousands of years. Since they caught fish, they've probably been grilling them rather than eating them sushi style. So yeah, (laughs) it's got to be. So yeah, deep fried, battered fillet of fish yep that's what we're looking at all right yep yeah so very popular with everyone as we were discussing before whether you like your fish and chips crunchy or soggy with mushy peas on the side doused in vinegar it's entirely up to you i believe crunchier the better you can keep your peas and vinegar i don't want any of that and i really and I'll think fight it, you for it it should be wrapped in paper Rather than in one of those polystyrene containers. I hate those containers. Yeah, they're so even, stupid. Even before it became like not environmentally friendly to have those containers, I've always hated those containers. They make that they, horrible noise when they rub they, together. They do. They make a squeaky noise, and then they also just make stuff soggy. Every all the condensation from the heat of the it just makes it all soggy. Well, I've seen it like in England now. All of the fancier chip uh, fish and chip shops are putting them in like cardboard, papery cardboard boxes. Yes, rather than wrapping them. In paper. And also for quite a while they were wrapped in newspaper and that was quite a traditional thing up until about the 80s, I think. And then they discovered that ink was really bad to consume. Yes, the newsprint was leaking onto the fries and that was not good for health. Uh, although there are some places that I've seen that still use imitation newsprint that's printed like safely edible a, yeah, newsprint on the paper just in to a healthy make it look eco old way. school. And I like it. It's cute. Yeah, I think that's fun. Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're just going to go back and break up the two dishes going to have a bit of a look at the history of French fries, because that obviously is a very important part of the dish. The fry. Where did of the course. fry come from? But let's say French fries and English fish and chips. These are completely different types of frying of potato. Well, is it? Oh, I thought so, because like the whole big, chunky, soggy chips compared to the skinny, crispy French fries. But then the original French fries weren't skinny and crispy, perhaps. This is what, let's have a talk about fries, shall we? Let's talk about fries. Um, So, I think we've actually mentioned a few times before about how the tasty old little potato, no matter how, which way you make it, uh, comes from Latin America. Originally, uh, is... That's where they found it. The Spanish found it and they brought it over to Europe in the 16th century. So, it was first in Spain around 1570 and uh, then... it actually came to the British Isles about 1588 to 1593. So, yeah, I think, what are they saying? Pretty much like Peru is like- Yeah, I think Peru is like one of the epicenters, but um, that whole region around the Andes and stuff, uh, they all had some spread of potatoes, supposedly. Yeah. So, it actually at that time was not incredibly popular at first because- the Spaniards were stuck up and they regarded it as native food. Yeah. And some people tried to smoke it. I don't know if that's a myth or not, but that people didn't know really if they should weird. eat it or smoke it. I don't know how they smoke a potato. That might just be like a comedy skit. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but they also had a similar problem in England with the potato where it uh, just was not considered upper class food. And so, therefore, it actually became food of the working classes. People that were poor and had nothing else to eat, they, would, they, just, they ended up with these potatoes that they brought up. Um, apparently, during that time, people also feared that they were poisonous, like other plants that had been found at that time. So, a lot of people just grew them in their herb gardens, and actually, they were called the devil's apples. Well, technically, they are poisonous, right? In a sense, because they're part of the nightshade family, which is deadly poisonous if you actually eat certain parts of that. I don't think potatoes exactly are deadly deadly, but that green stuff you get on the outside can give you a stomach upset. if you- Yeah. If you haven't uh, got that off properly, if the potato's a bit old. So, I think it, it took him a while to figure out what to do with them. And yeah, so they were called the devil's apples. Because they came from under the ground rather than on the tree. Indeed. Maybe that's part of it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they grew underground. Absolutely. There also wasn't a large cultivation in a lot of Europe. As at that time, there were very strict laws on what could and couldn't be grown in many countries. And this is actually the first time I've come across this. I didn't realize that. So, sort of in the 16th century, the landowners would, or and the, the governments and all that, would just be like, no, this is what you can grow in those fields and this is all we will allow. And that was up until like the 1750s, where they would really only allow grain to be planted in open fields. Yeah, as I said, up until 1750, where France and Germany changed their minds and the governments and noble lords actually decided to change it and plant potato fields instead. So, people could only grow them in their herb gardens and in their small gardens because they weren't approved, like an approved government plants or... Yeah, thing. They were like, nope, we don't have enough space. We're just going to grow grain. And we think lockdown today is a bit of a pain. Like, you couldn't even grow potatoes. Couldn't even grow potatoes. Weren't allowed to do it. So, it wasn't until France and Germany changed their, their mind on actually making potato fields. That's when they actually started to become more popular across Europe. Of course, not long after that, there was um, some famines in the 1770s and the potato survived. So, this is what contributed to a lot more acceptance of potato as an edible substance. And they started growing them more because they were just, they helped out with the famine. Yeah. And we talked about this a little bit in the Lithuania episodes as well. The reason they became popular there later, sort of like mid 19th century, like over 100 years later, was once again because there was a famine based on a different crop that failed there. I think it was rye, perhaps. Yeah, I think it was rye. Probably uh, in. In Western Europe, it had been wheat that failed, that led to them having to grow something else. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah so, the, p- potatoes were not popular at all, even though you'd probably say it's one of the most popular, which shall we call it? It's, a, it's not a vegetable. Starches, Starch, carbohydrates. Yeah. Yeah. Because we often do this test with our friends. We're like, which, if you could only have one carbohydrate for the rest of your life, what would you choose? And it's like, it's either potatoes, rice, pasta, or bread. Yeah, and I'm taking bread. So, I'm with the nobles on this one. (laughs) Potatoes. I love potatoes. You will grow that grain. Yeah, I'm like, you will grow wheat and I will eat it. But we've had quite a few people choose potatoes in their various forms. I mean, there are some very good things that you get with potatoes. But, uh, yeah, fries, roast potatoes. uh, I don't know. What are the other ones that are particularly good? People like mash. I don't really care about mash, but a lot of people love mash. Yeah. Um, Boiled new potatoes I quite like. But yeah, then after that, where'd you go? I yeah. mean, you, you can do like 
like little uh, hash browns and things like that. Like hash browns are nice. Grated potatoes. Yeah, I mean, there is lots of other things you could do with them, but 90% of the time I'm eating fries or I'm eating roast potatoes. Yeah. Occasionally no. boiled potatoes. That's it. Agreed. Baked potatoes, actually. Do on like a, a barbecue. Bake. Do like a baked potato. All right, potato. you see, now I'm changing my mind. No, I'm not messing with you. <laughs> I'm sticking with bread and all things bread related. Yums, yums. So, yes, of course, with, uh, with this change and uh, people looking at different ways to cook these potatoes during this time, it's no big surprise that this is where we have the fry coming out, fried uh, style of potato. And it's actually thought to have originated. In, well, as you would assume, probably France. Probably France. Yep. Although I had a feeling that there was a contention between France and another country. Which country would you assume? Belgium. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, the common law that's getting around uh, is that the original chip was born in a town called Namur. N-A-M-U-R. Namur. Namur. Uh, which is... A French-speaking area of Belgium. This is where it gets a little interesting. And apparently, this area they were very, very fond of fried fish, not the battered style, just regular fried fish. And there was a river that froze over completely one cold winter in 1680. And people apparently decided because they couldn't fish the fish and fry the fish that they like, they were like, we'll take these potato things and we will fry them instead. And this is where the fry was born. This is also continued on because the name of the French fry, of course, is what most people know it as. And this apparently came about many, 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 many years later when American soldiers that were stationed in the region during World War I allegedly dubbed the potatoes that they made in this area French fries uh, because everybody was speaking French. And they just assumed... I don't know. I don't know if they- I mean in French they're called pommes frites. That is true. Which just means fried potato. Yeah. So um Well actually yeah. it means fried apple. Pomme de terre is potato, which is apple of the earth. So once again going back to this uh-huh. devil's apples or whatever. So yeah, technically it would actually translate as fried apple. So this is the big story that's told. So that they fried the potatoes instead of the fish many, many years ago, and then it got the name of the French fries from the American soldiers that were stationed there speaking French with these Belgian people. And this, if you look uh, on the internet, this is the story that is repeated time and time and time again. But there is actually a culinary historian. His name is Pierre Lecure. Lecure. There's like a CQ at the end. Lecure. Uh, and he is a professor at the University of Liege in Belgium, and he noted in an article on the history of fries that this particular story is actually not plausible, even though it's what is commonly spread. And so he said, first and foremost, that if the Namur-based legend is true, it's far more likely that it took place not in 1680, but later on, uh, because actually potatoes weren't introduced into the region until 1735. <laughs> those damn those dates <laughs> stuffing yeah. up a good legend but even once they had these spuds available it was unlikely that they deep fried them because in the you know 17th and 18th centuries fat was actually considered a luxury by people of limited means and as i said in the beginning it was considered peasant food poorer people ate this so they didn't have the luxury of fry having enough fat yeah. to fry these sorts of things butter was really expensive animal fat was rare 
and cheaper vegetable fats were just really consumed sparingly. It, it really wasn't something that they would have a lot to fry potatoes in. They would probably spread it all on bread or put it in a yeah. soup. You just get those calories where you can. You don't waste them frying stuff and then throw them away. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, he, he just finds this story very hard to swallow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we've seen this with quite a few stories where people have just assumed that these cooking techniques existed forever and actually it's like, why would anyone be, like with piri-piri chicken, why would anybody be using a whole chicken? Yeah. They would be breaking it down and using those bones for soup and everything. It just wasn't practical yeah. at that time to use it's too wasteful. It's too wasteful. Yeah. Absolutely. There's still a lot of people that will swear black and blue that this story is true. There's a Belgian journalist whose name is Joe Girard, um, and he claims that he has a 1781 family manuscript that recounts the potatoes being deep fried prior to that manuscript, like 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 they've had potato frying potatoes for years and years. But interestingly enough, he's not actually produced this manuscript to support his claims. He's just like, yeah, I got it. Can we see it? Nah. No. No, of course not. But if they were also frying fish, they would have needed oil for that. So even the fish frying part of the story would have been later, perhaps. Yeah, it just seems a little bit odd. You know, I mean, they could have been like pan frying it with like a tiny bit of oil. Exactly. So that's the thing. It's like you need that full coverage to make potato fries, but you don't need it so much with the fish. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, where does that leave us? Like, so did- Hungry. Hungry. And maybe they actually did originate in France, as one would assume, with the, with the name French fries. But as you said, that it's called something different there. Yeah, I mean, the name French fries <clears throat> is obviously made up by English people. Yes. Uh, American English speaking people. I mean, yeah. I don't see that there's any way that the French are just standing around going, Pomme de Francais. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Like, I don't think so. It's like that joke. It's like, what do they call Chinese food in China? Food. food. Yeah. 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 <laughs> ba ching uh, But yeah, a little bit about the history of the potato in France. Uh, there was a Frenchman, Antoine Augustine Parmentier. Uh, he first made the potato popular in France. And once again, um, it took a bit of time for it to catch on then. And, but he was a little bit savvy with the way, because he was like, no, this is a thing. I'm going to make sure people eat these potatoes it's going to catch on here and he went as far as to hire soldiers to stand guard around his private potato patch to increase the allure of the spud um and he would allow them to like be really bad with their guard or turn their back at inappropriate times to allow civilians to steal the potato in the dead of night to sort of further their reputed desirability He was very determined to get people eating potatoes. Uh, So, when it took off, it's not surprising that the first reference to fried potatoes uh, actually does come from France. And this is in 1775. There's evidence of fried potatoes found in a local dish. So, it's not an individual just eating fried potatoes as they are. They were sort of fried and put into a... included in a dish. Then through the 19th century, fried potatoes became common enough that there are actually songs and engravings about fried potato vendors. And this was a really popular subject at the time. So people in street carts getting around selling these sorts of fried potatoes in the 19th century. But at first, these were cut into rounds and not in the long strips that we know them today. So they were just 
circular slices that they had fried up and they were just selling in their street carts. In 1865 in France, someone called Gogue, G-O-G-U-E, Gogue, wrote to cut them in either round or in long and squared pieces. Uh, So, this is where you were talking about the different ways that you have them in the UK. I think you would probably refer to them as long, square pieces that they make. Yeah, I mean, they're chunky. Yeah. Chunky square. So, this is where the, the English, with that sort of style cut of potato is coming from. So, it's coming from this 1865 text where uh, you could either just, yeah, put them in circular pieces or you could have them in long squared pieces. There is also a text from 1870 in Belgium where both options are offered as well. So, France, Belgium, in the 19th century, very much hot on each other's heels with actual written down text about frying of potatoes, regardless of if it's like long or circular or however you have it. But yeah, they're sort of both hot on each other's heels about frying these potatoes around about that time. People are saying that generally they probably just really grew up spontaneously in both countries because that can well, happen. Well, of, of course. You've got an ingredient, you have basic cooking methods of boiling, roasting or frying. Yep. Like, it's pretty straightforward. What do we have today? Oh, we've got some potato, right? What do we have to cook it with? We've got oil. Right? Exactly. Done. Uh, one of the main problems also with pinpointing the time that this became popular is because, as I mentioned before, it was sort of a poor people's food and then it went into street food sort of food. And just actually tracing street food of when it originated. Rich people didn't care about writing down what poor people did. Nope. And poor people couldn't write. Exactly. But all we do know is that it became hugely popular. Eventually, it did become popular with the rich people as well. And then it spread across Europe. But yeah, a lot of people would say that even today, even though its origins possibly come from either Belgian or France, depending on where you are, depending on who you're talking to, we'll fight you on that. But I think probably most people today would agree that the fry is probably undeniably American. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I think just America's just taken it. When you think of fries, you think of the American style, don't you? Well, no, I grew up in England. I think of fish and chips. True. I mean, I think of fries being American because fries is like a thinner, crispier type of chip. But when you think of chips... When I think of fish and chips, I think of English chips. And this is, of course, the really confusing thing between British English and American English and all of that sort of stuff because, yeah, chips in England can refer to fried chips, potato chips. No. Oh, you call them crisps. crisps. There is no confusion in England. Chips are deep fried chunky things. Crisps are the skinny thin things that Americans Maybe it's just Australia that calls everything chips. America, uh, Australia calls it hot chips and chips. Hot chips are cooked <laughs> fries. Yeah. yeah. Or potato chips. No. And potato chips are chips. Pot- pot- potato chips are cold. Hot chips. Hot chips are hot, are hot chips. Obviously. <laughs> They're fries. It gets a little confusing, doesn't it? <laughs> and then when you bring freedom fries into the mix as well. It's exactly. Like- so the freedom fries came about in the 2000s with the. Uh, well, this was actually a rebellion against France, and they refused to support the US's invasion of Iraq. Yep. And, uh, I remember this. Yeah. We, yeah. So some people listening might be too young for this, but we definitely remember. Uh, and that's when the term freedom fries 
came about because uh, they didn't want to have their chips have anything to do with the French because they were traitors. So, yeah, I don't know. I, a lot of places around the world have fries, chips, whatever you want to call them. Uh, yeah, obviously the US has popularized them because they serve them with everything, burger and chips, hot dog and chips. Yeah. And that's sort of maybe what's... But then the French did steak and chips and uh, moule frit as well, which is uh, mussels yep. and, and chips. It's basically. just, it's a popular I thing. Think, yeah, it's everywhere. Everything's going on with that. It's quite hard to trace. It's just all sort of appeared simultaneously. Yeah, exactly. But they say today, apparently, the average American consumes about 29 pounds of chips a year. So, like 15 kilos. Yeah. 14 kilos, something like that. That's a good amount of chips. Yeah. I don't think I eat that many, but I might do. <laughs> I don't know while we're in isolation. Yeah, we've been ordering a few more <laughs> fries than usual, that's for sure. So, is that it for chips? What, That's it for what chips. about the fish? The I mean, fish. Fish and chips is the dish. Of course. So, let's take a look at the fried fish. So, of course, yeah, when we refer to fried fish, we mean the method of cooking that uh, involves the fish being covered in batter, which is made from egg and breadcrumbs, usually, flour. Uh, you can throw some herbs and spices in there if you so wish. And then, of course, the whole thing is fried before being served. Yeah, so we're talking about the old battered one. So, fried fish in the UK. Fried fish was actually introduced into Britain by Jewish refugees from Portugal and Spain that were settling in England as early as the 16th century. So, this came about around, you know, sort of about the same time as the potato showed up. Because Jewish people were known at the time for being moneylenders and having more money and being able to afford oil so they could deep fry their fish. Possibly. I don't know, but that, yeah, obviously, I mean, but there were refugees escaping yeah. the, I'm guessing, some sort of, you know, Spanish Inquisition type. Uh, yeah, I mean, at that time, what did you say, 16th century? Yeah. I think the Spanish Inquisition had started by the 16th century. Yeah. So, yeah. But you know what? The, the people haven't liked the Jews for a while. They've, they've, they've had a tough run. So, generally, they've been escaping something for quite some time. Um, and they took their food with them. So... When they arrived in England, they would have prepared their fish in a manner similar to, as we said before, the pescado frito, which is yum yum in Tom's Tum. Yep. Whole deep fried fish with the skin on. Yes. Goes crispy, salty, crispy, good. Um, But they had introduced this coating of flour and then the frying in oil. So... The reason why they, uh, they say that it comes from the Jewish refugees is because actually fish fried for Shabbat, and I'm so sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong, is very common for dinner on Friday evenings. And then it could be eaten cold the following afternoon for Shalosh Sudot, which is the third meal customarily eaten by on, on the Sabbath. So, I don't know if anybody's not very knowledgeable about the Jewish weekends, which I obviously oh, us, am not. for example. I'm yeah. not very knowledgeable. But I did do, we did do a tour in Budapest in the Jewish, Jewish corner, and they did explain to us about how on Saturdays, traditional Jewish families will not use any electricity, any cooking implements. So pretty much they had to cook everything. They cannot do 
work. Yes. And cooking is classed as work. Yeah, so everything has to be cooked up on Friday in order for them to have food to eat throughout the Saturday, so they're not actually doing work. They can start preparing the food at 11pm on Friday night and then just leave it on the stove as long as they're not actively working on it anymore. Exactly. And this particular fried fish dish, because of course you're having fish on a Friday, was very popular. Uh, They would use liquid vegetable oil rather than hard fats of... um, or butters and stuff like that. So. so, not deep fried in lard, because, of course, the Jewish do not eat the lard. No, 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 of no. the pig. So, it was done in the vegetable oil. Originally, the fish was usually sold by street sellers from large trays that hung around their necks. And even Mr. Charles Dickens, who has done quite, quite a bit for the, you know, popularity of food... I have to say, like the Christmas dinner and a few other things. It's old, old Charles Dickens has definitely been quite influential when it comes to food. Old Dickie. With food trends, um, because he refers to an early fish shop or a fried fish warehouse in Oliver Twist. And that came out in 1839. um, And... This is where the, the fish generally came with bread or baked potatoes they were doing at that stage. Ah. Um, I haven't read Oliver Twist. I actually don't know. I don't remember it being a fish factory in the movie, but who knows? Yes. Anyway, according to the internet, it's in Oliver Twist. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Oh, Chaz Dickey doing the job. Yep. He's, he was a bit of a foodie. and it? Yeah, just surprisingly creating these food trends through his books. Oh, good on him. Uh, Fish and chips together as one whole perfect meal, as one might call it, first appeared in the UK around the 1860s. The exact location of the first fish and chip shop is completely unclear. Of course. Who would have thought? Uh, It is said that the first stores appeared, uh, there was one that, popped up in London by a, a gentleman named Joseph Marlin. Malin? M-A-L-I-N? Malin? Maybe Malin, because Marlin's like the fish. I know, that that's what I thought. When much I, of a coincidence. When I said it, I was like, that's an interesting name, but there's no R in it. It's just Malin. And also there was uh, near Oldham. Yeah, Oldham. Oldham. Because it's like a ham hey, on the end. Old ham. Old ham it is old ham. Oldham. Oldham. Oldham in Lancashire. Uh, That was opened by a gentleman named John Lees at a very similar time. So, Lees apparently opened in Lancashire around 1863. He sold fish and chips from a wooden hut in the marketplace, and he later transferred the business to a permanent shop just across the road, which had the following inscription in the window. This is the first fish and chip shop in the world. That he knew of. Yeah, so John says, so therefore it is so. Sure. Uh, it is also said that Joseph Malin opened a fish and chip shop in Cleveland Street uh, in 1860. So, the one in London apparently opened three years prior to Lee's. Well, I mean, if he has a record of that. I don't. All they know is just this inscription of old mate going, this is the first one. And I don't know. I've noticed there has been a few, like when we've asked about a couple of pubs around England, like people kind of jimmy the dates a little bit just so that they're the oldest. Like, it's like, well, you know, people were drinking here. We hadn't built anything and we weren't selling beer, but people sat on a street corner and drank here. 
1237. Exactly. So, I think what um, old mate Lisa's argument is, is that he had his wooden hut in the market, and that is probably where he's saying is the first fish and chip shop, which- you know, probably came about just a bit before uh, the one that was open in London. Who knows? Just because you say it's true doesn't make it so. But once again, no solid evidence to prove anything at all. And Oldham, is that on the coast? I actually, I, I know the name, but I've never been there. Oh, I have no idea. Where is Lancashire? Lancashire is North England. Okay, so I mean Oldham and mostly, or I think it's mostly, maybe not mostly, that's really far away from the coast. And it, that was the first fish and chip shop? According, yeah. And it's, yeah, I think there's actually still a shop there today. So, I mean, you're talking, and like, let's remember they had horses and carts with their fastest transport back then. Yeah. It's not like they had a super fast delivery system. Well, I guess they had trains. And I can tell you, it is true today in, you know, 2020. I stand by this rule, don't trust a fish shop that's inland. Yeah. And I'm pretty certain that is even more so back in the 1860s. Okay, so if he was in mostly, there is actually a river running straight through it. All right, so he might have got his fishies from there. It's a smallish river, but obviously all rivers have fish in, especially in those days when there wasn't as much pollution. So- yeah, uh, he was probably using river fish, I guess, but yeah. that's quite different from the modern fish and chips if he's like using trout or something. For But who knows? All right, so it's probably that. It's probably yeah. river fish. What we do know for sure is that Italian immigrants passing through English towns and cities saw the growing queues and sensed a business opportunity. And they took up this idea and they set up shops in Scotland, Wales, and Ireland. And by 1910, there were over 25,000 Fish and chip shops across the UK. All run by Italians. Well, they made it popular and like traveled with it. And then obviously other people went, that's a good idea. I'll open that. And someone else went, that's a good idea. I'll open one too. Someone else went, ah, oh, I'll open one as well. Why not? 25,000 people later, there's a lot of fish and chip shops. There's a lot of Italian run fish and chip shops. Now you mentioned it. I never really thought about it, but there was definitely one in my hometown. And there was only like five fish and chip shops in my hometown. And one of them was Italian. So, you know. That's um, a thing. Yeah. So, yeah, 1910, 25,000 fish and chip shops across the UK. By the 1930s, there were over 35,000 shops. Yeah. Very, very, it got just massively popular uh, to the point where actually the British government safeguarded the supply of fish and chips during World War One and World War Two. It was one of the few foods in the UK that was not subject to rationing during these periods because it was considered... Uh, a very English food and something that people had, you know, it kept morale up. If people still had access to their fish and chips, it still kept their positive thoughts and hopes and everything like that. So it actually wasn't rationed in the World Wars. Mm. Also, fish and chips even played a part in the D-Day landings, apparently, where British soldiers trying to identify each other would cry out fish and then they would wait for the response of, Chips. Yeah. Like Marco Polo. Because <laughs> they thought that Germans would not understand the code. Yeah. Wow. So Germany obviously not so big on the fish and chips. No, I think they were having different sorts of, well, they had the potatoes at least, but yeah, they were doing something very different in Germany. But yeah, fish and chips was what they used at the D-Day landings, which I thought was pretty cool. 
As I discussed in the said in the beginning, the popularity of fish and chips since then has sort of grown in popularity and then not so popular and then grown again. It just sort of comes down to fish supply, quality of fish, also, yeah, just different trends and stuff like that. But it is definitely making a, another solid comeback with gourmet eateries getting around where people are making fancier versions of fish and chips yes. and um, making healthier options as well. Definitely, I think for a while, sort of like in the 80s and 90s, it just got really greasy and really heavy. Um, it was just like a, considered a very heavy, heavy meal and people weren't wanting to have that. And so I think now there's been a lot of changes with the different oils that they're cooking in and different things where you can just get like also like beer battered ones mm. where you just get that nice, light, crispy rather than it just being greasy and heavy and, and gross. But I used to love it in the 80s when it was made with uh, <laughs> with animal fat. All of the fries were fried in animal fat and it was so good. It was a very dirty time. It was, but let's face it, it tastes better. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, but people, people got more health conscious and it lost its popularity. So, chippies had to find ways to get people to come back through their doors and they had to do it by having, you know, fresher oil and better oils and different cooking methods. And so, I think definitely if you travel around England, you'll find many, many different varieties of people doing, you know, a, it's a similar dish, but people doing it in sort of different ways. Yeah. Every place is different. I mean, yeah, if you've got a whole bunch of fish and chip shops to choose from, there is going to be one that you prefer. That's like, that's the standout for you, but that's not for everyone else. Everyone's got a different preference. So, what are you going to do? Yeah. I would definitely say every time we visit England, when we visit people, someone will always let us know what their favorite chippy shop is. It's like, oh, while you're visiting here, this is my chippy place. And, you know, people will definitely have very differing opinions. But yes. The Italian fish and chip shop in my hometown was not my favorite one. <laughs> no. It was the one that maybe we'd go to because it was the one in the center of town, so you didn't have to walk as far. Where like is that? Can you, can you think of where the best place you've had fish and chips is? Uh, I mean, I guess that's very difficult because it's all like childhood memories and stuff. So, you have a completely different view whether it was actually better or not. You don't know. Yeah. It's also about the experience. But actually having it at the coast, I didn't live on the coast. But when we used to go to the beach when I was a kid, we went to a little town called uh, Charmouth, which I think I took you to when we went to the UK yeah. a few years ago. Um yeah, was that where a, the seagull like landed that giant crap and almost like it was the biggest crap I've ever seen from a bird in my life? Know. It was like a bomb. <laughs> it exploded on the seat beside me. It was like an absolute little miniature grenade. This is what happens when seagulls eat people's leftover oh, fish and my chips goodness. rather than just eating fresh fish from the sea. <laughs> and that, scavengers. That is, of course, the, uh, the well, I'm sure people have had to deal with this drama for, for years, but it's like actually eating fish and chips by the seaside and getting to eat all of your fish and chips because those seagulls are cheeky little buggers. Yeah. Well, anyway, we used to eat fish and chips there when I was a kid and you'd come off the beach after a fun day and then we'd get fish and chips before we went home and just a little place that was up the hill rather than right next to the beach. So it was a little less touristy and a little more of a local spot. Yeah. And they used to make the best fish and chips, but... I don't know. I was like nine years old, so it's impossible to tell. I'd have to say I'm the, I'm similar. I have fond memories of a place that I I remember at the Gold Coast, and once again, yeah, it's taking a trip to the seaside with your parents. Yeah, you're having um, a good day anyway. So exactly, 
Yeah, and there's a place. Uh, it's just across from the Grand Hotel. Like, um, no one listening to this will know where that no, is. No, what is it? North it's Gold south- Coast in Australia, just south of Brisbane. Southport, a bit further along from Southport. What area is the Grand in? Lab- Labra- Labrador. Labrador. Uh- <laughs> yes, Labrador is the nice part of the, 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 the Gold Coast <laughs> that it's called Stabrador. <laughs> it might have improved <laughs> since back in the day, but they had, they got a good fish and chip shop right on the waterfront there, and uh, we used to definitely drop in there. Would you like to know some fun facts about fish and chips? Sure. The longest running fish and chip shop is still in operation, and it is in Yearden near Leeds. Y e a d o n. Yearden. Yearden. Uh, the shop trades under the name the oldest fish and chip shop in the world. Everyone's loving that title, and it's, uh, it's believed that the fish and chips have been served on the premises continually. Since well, they they're claiming 1865, so they opened up just a couple of years after wow. uh, the two guys we were talking about before, and they're they are still claiming to be the longest operational fish and chip shop. All right, um, over 250 million fish and chip meals are sold every year in the UK. Yeah, that's a lot. Uh, the record that's number like five per person. Yeah, ish over a year. Four and a bit. That yeah, sounds that's about not right. That often, actually. But yeah. Some people will never eat fish and chips, I guess. So. I, I'm not the biggest fan. Vegetarians, for example. I will eat the chips. I do enjoy the chips. I don't yeah. like the fish so much. I'll get myself a nice pie. I'll have a pie and chips. Pie Thank and you. Chips. Also good. The record number of fish and chips portions sold in one day is 12,406 portions in Glasgow. And that record was set in 1999. The world's largest portion of fish and chips was made by, oh, a company just called Fish and Chips, at London Road in Enfield on July 2012. And this was a giant portion of halibut and chips, which weighed, how much, do you, how much would you think that the largest portion of fish and chips ever would weigh in at? The total for the chips and the fish. Yeah. All in together. Yep, a big portion of halibut and chips that took out the largest portion in 2012. So, hang on. Are we saying here that it has to be a single fish? Oh, I don't know. It can't be a single fish because it's very heavy. Yeah. Okay. So, it's not. It's just a entire massive amount of fish and chips altogether. Yeah. Uh, all right. Like 1,000 kilos. Oh, okay. Not that big. Oh, you made it sound like it was going to be huge. Well, it is big for fish and chips. It was 47 kilos. You see, like when you say 47 kilos for a portion of fish and chips, that could be one fish. You reckon that'd be one fish? Well, one it's fish. It's like one of those big like Japanese tunas. One of those tunas. giant fishes could be like 20, 30 kilos. Oh, I guess. And then lots of chips easily. I think you're cheating if it's more chips than fish, personally. I, there's plenty of big fish that are over 30 kilos. I'll have to see if I can find a picture of it. And we can put it on our Instagram. I just feel like if literally all you did for your portion of fish and chips was got like 50 fishes and lots of potatoes, that would be cheating. I do feel like you have to have one. It's got to be a singular fish. fish. Yeah, I think that makes sense. For it to only be 47 kilos as well, because otherwise I would just cook up all of the fish and chips for the day Oh, wait, there is a picture. Oh, that says 54 kilos. Oh, controversial. Controversial. Not fact-checked. Largest serving of fish and chips uh, came in at 54.99 kilos, which is 121 pounds and three ounces for anyone listening in the United States. 
and it was made by Resorts World Birmingham on the 9th of February 2018. Oh, so this is a new record that's not your record. It's a new one, yeah. Did it- you accidentally look at Guinness World Records for your record? I might have. Because Guinness Online doesn't seem to update their records constantly. The uncooked fish fillet of halibut weighed 27 kilos by itself. There you go. I mean, according to this picture, it's a butt ton of chips, let's be honest. Yeah, but it's a single fillet from one halibut. Oh, yeah, that's pretty big. I'll have to put the picture on Facebook Damn. and Instagram. Yeah, it's massive. That's, that's a big bit of fish. They basically filleted the whole side of one of the biggest halibuts ever caught or something. And then that's been turned into one massive deep fried bit of fish. Yeah, I knew it had to be one fish. It would be insane if you just could use as many fish Little as you Little fishies, want. yeah, that's true. And you just have like a 700 kilo fish and chips easily. All right, there we go. Birmingham currently holds the title for that one. And there is also, and you would probably know that coming, know this coming from England, but there's a long tradition of funny chip shop names. Uh, never really thought about it, but sure. Ah, um, there's ones like Frying Nemo. No. No. Uh, Star Chip Enterprise. Nice. Yeah. And For Your Fries Only. Uh. They were three of my favorites. There's a lot more, uh, but they were three of my favorites. I like Star Chip Enterprise. Yeah, I think yeah, that's pretty. That's good. a good one. Yeah, so that's yeah, that is fish and chips. Nothing like incredibly contentious. Not a lot of evidence to pinpoint anything as ah, usual. It, as we said, it started out as a poor people's food, as a commoner's food, and people just couldn't, you know, just didn't have the capability of writing stuff down to document when they made these things or have recipe books. So it's only when it became mainstream and then, you know, nobility started to consume these products is when we actually have written evidence. It's an old, old story. We get this, but still, you know, there's still lots of interesting facts on the way. So I like it. Yeah. Nice. All right. That's it for fish and chips. And for this episode, we'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Uh, hope everyone out there is staying safe and well, and hopefully you're in a country where things are going well, and you're or in a city where it's not going too badly. Hopefully, you can get you know order yourself some fish and chips right now. Yep, maybe if you can get fish hankering. and chips delivered. Yeah. Why not? I could definitely get some fish and chips now. I've been talking about it, mm. but you know, having steak for dinner. So we live in an inland city. It's against my rules. <laughs> yeah. All right, so uh, remember, you can help us out by sharing the show to friends. If you've got any foodie friends, just let them know about it. And, of course, rate and review. If you can leave us a five-star review, that really makes a difference for us. That would be fantastic. Five stars is the best amount of stars. If you can't get five stars, then you probably don't like the show that much. So I don't know why you still listen. And please remember to support us on Patreon as well. Go to foodfuntravel.com slash extras to support us on our Podbean Patreon account. You can leave us for as little as $1.50 a month. That would really help us out or at the moment. How as- much does it cost for it? portion of fish and chips uh, a bit more than one dollar fifty depends where you live seven seven eight bucks yeah at least all right <laughs> leave us more money we don't mind <laughs> but yeah we'd appreciate it you know times are tight in the travel industry right now so we would obviously appreciate your patronage but we just appreciate you listening so that's uh, good enough too yes thank you for listening and we will be back in two weeks with another fantastic episode see you then 
Thanks for listening to The Dish. Don't forget to subscribe and keep this podcast on the air by giving us a five-star review on your preferred podcast app or channel. Also, come join our foodie community on Facebook in the Food Worth Travelling for Facebook group. Catch you next time.